Okay, now I'm interviewing Peter Blamey, a man who's devoted his professional life to helping people with hearing loss. He's a history in the cochlear implant project in Australia and is one of the founding members of Blamey Saunders Hears, a company based in Melbourne, and in fact are the producers of the hearing aids that I am now wearing. Hello, Peter, and welcome to Fuzzy Logic. Hello, Rod. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Peter. Now, Peter, what is it that got you interested in the subject of hearing loss and how to treat hearing loss? Well, it was actually um, a, a story that began when I was doing my PhD in nuclear physics at Monash University, and my older son was about to be born and I had to get a real job, and I was very lucky that I answered an advertisement in the paper to find somebody who would write computer programs for cochlear implant research. And I rang up and spoke to uh, Graham Clark, and I got the job. I didn't know anything about hearing at that stage, so that's where the hearing story started. But you did know about physics, and you did know about how to write computer programs. And what did you find when you got to uh, the cochlear project? Well, what I found was that there were there was a great team of people to work with, and Graham Clark was really good at choosing people who were very good in their fields and getting them to work together. But on the computer programming side, which was what I was there to do, there were some great problems to solve. People didn't know what the, these artificial sounds were going to be like when they were presented to the first patients. And so the programming job that I got was to generate new sounds through the cochlear implant and collect responses from the patients about what it would sound like and try and figure out what all of that meant and then use the information. Right, so t- talk me briefly through how the cochlear implant works. So it, there's a microphone and then you've got some sort of processing going on in the middle, which is what you were working on, and then it's got to translate that sound into something. That's right. So the sound um, processing part is all on the outside of the body. So the, the microphone takes in a sound and then it has to figure out which electrodes inside the cochlea are going to receive electrical stimulation to best represent that sound. So, But in between, there's the skin of the, the patient's head and on the inside there's another little computer that generates these electrical impulses. So sound processor produces a a radio signal that gets transmitted into the internal device and the internal device um, produces these electrical pulses and hopefully the brain of the patient says, aha, you just said hello. So tell me a little bit about the electrodes because these things are inserted into the cochlea. That's right, yes. So the electrodes themselves are made out of platinum, which is a very inert material, very biologically safe. There are 22 of them that are in a linear array that goes around the cochlear spiral. And when you stimulate each one, you get a sound of a different pitch. So the ones that are furthest into the cochlea produce the uh, uh, the lowest pitched sounds and the ones that are closest to the the, the opening of the, or the big end of the cochlea produce the highest pitched sounds. So the cochlea is a snail-shaped organ with a wide end coiling around to the narrow end? That's right, right. yes. 
and these electrodes, they sit up against the hearing sensing cells inside the cochlea, is that right? Uh, yeah, they sit up against the hearing nerves that are in the middle of the cochlea. So in, in the middle of this cochlear spiral, there's a whole bunch of nerves. Mm-hmm. And in a person with, um, with acoustic hearing, normal hearing, each nerve goes to cells in the cochlea that have a different frequency, that sense a different frequency. And so by running an electrical signal into these, you are stimulating that nerve and thereby simulating sound going to the brain. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So the brain that's been trained to respond to sounds of different frequencies in a normal ear responds in the same way to an electrical signal that's delivered to that nerve. Okay, now to talk a bit more about the program that you did. So you've now got this uh, incoming analogue sound signal through a microphone. You've got this computer processing going in the middle trying to generate an appropriate electrical signal to the hearing nerve. What's the program actually doing? So the program splits up the incoming sound into different frequency bands Mm -hmm. and um, effectively one for each electrode in the... one band for each electrode in the cochlea. Mm -hmm. And... um, then if there's more signal in that frequency band, then you deliver more electrical pulses to that nerve through that electrode. It must be a pretty challenging job because there is no user's manual for the cochlea, nothing that says you put this signal in here. So somehow the project must have figured out uh, how much signal, what frequencies and what shape the signal was and so on. Uh, how did it go about working that out? It must be a pretty difficult problem. Yeah, so it wasn't a problem that was sort of solved overnight. It was a, an iterative solution. We we started off with a simple um, sort of coding mechanism for sounds and we built that up to become uh, more and more complex but to deliver more and more information and until we got to the stage where we are now where people can talk on the telephone with cochlear implants. That must be an amazing experience. Tell me about, uh, is there a standout occasion on which you saw a person with a cochlear implant switched on for the first time? What was that like? Yeah, there are a few actually, but one of the ones that stands out the most was the, um, the second person to get the commercial device that Cochlear had made. And so it was a bit of a nail-biting experience because you sit there for quite a long time increasing the electric current little by little until the patient says, aha, I heard something. But instead of saying, aha, the patient said, oh, shit! And everybody in the room (laughs) sort of jumped out of their their skins with, with delight and surprise. It was great because... You know, we've been getting sort of... It, it was appeared as though it was getting less and less likely that 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 we, he would hear anything, so... Was, that, was, was, good, was yeah. that a great motivation, not just <laughs> the way he expressed it, but, but to see the impact it made on a real person? Did that really motivate you to, to see that? Yes, yeah, that was fantastic because um, it, it has a great deal more meaning for the person who's experiencing this than... For the scientists around the place, but you know the the depth of emotion that people build up after not hearing a single thing for years and years, mm. and then 
not knowing whether this device is going to work or not, and all of a sudden have that release of a yes, we're on the way. It's, it's and to see the delight and the uh, the the actual impact that that makes over the next few months on somebody's life is is really motivating. Yeah. Well, as a person who benefits from Blaney Saunders, his hearing aids, I, I can attest to how it affects your emotional life. You know, one day you can't hear properly and the next things come to life and hearing is such a, an isolating disability that it, to, to transform a person's life like that is, is a very significant thing. And to see somebody be productive again. Is, is it a challenge for a person who's got really severe hearing loss that suddenly these signals are coming in and they do they know what to make of them? It's like, is it like a person who's never seen the colour red and suddenly they see red and, and do, are they able to make sense of what they're now getting? You can't really generalise. Some people say, oh yeah, it sounds pretty much like hearing used to be. Other people say, oh, I can't understand that and then gradually come to, uh, to understand what the sound is like. But... Um, I think it's getting much easier for people now because our understanding of how to produce different sorts of sounds with the cochlear implant is so much better that they really are closer to the sounds that the brain used to receive through normal hearing. So, um, but, but there's a huge range of variability between people who can understand uh, you know, close to 100% of everything they hear within a few months to people who still can't understand very much after a couple of years. Now, you, you're probably old enough to remember the Six Million Dollar Man, right? Mm-hmm. And in the Six Million Dollar Man and other science fiction-y type things, the bionic device is always better than the natural one. And, you know, the Six Million Dollar Man can walk up to a set of iron bars and then effortlessly bend them out of shape and so on. What is the quality of sound like for a person with a cochlear implant? What would it be like compared to a normal unaffected ear? It depends what your criterion of what's normal is. Um, Because the sound goes through this um, process from the microphone to generating a signal in the ear, we could actually make a cochlear implant that was much more sensitive to very soft sounds, so you could really hear a pin drop at 100 metres if you had a microphone good enough to pick up that sound. So it's a different kind of thing, but that's not a very useful um, ability to have. If you could hear all of the pins that were being dropped within 100 metres, it would be quite deafening, So because there are a lot of other loud sounds as well. So uh, I'm always wary about saying things are better than normal, but the technology that's in cochlear implants and hearing aids can actually help people to understand um, better in background noise than a normally hearing people person. So it's like like the um, the directional microphone that you might have in your recorder or wherever. Mm-hmm. It's actually improving the signal, and you can improve it so it's better than listening. What, just what, normally something I've wondered about is like. Uh, a mobile phone is now a smartphone and you can do so much with a smartphone now you've got a smart processor in there so I could imagine you could do all sorts of funky things you've got 
you could interpose a mobile phone, you could do, I don't know what, but it's some very creative things. I mean, transmit frequencies perhaps that normal people couldn't hear at all. Yeah. Is that sort of thing going on? Yes, yes it is. So uh, about um, 15 years ago, Elaine Saunders and I took the technology that was being used to process sounds in cochlear implants and used it for hearing aids, but we also used it for telephones and headsets. And so the sound processing that's in the Blamey Saunders hearing aids and in the cochlear cochlear implant sound processor is also being used now in telephones and in headsets, and in fact being used to process millions of phone calls every day and uh, and doing a lot of a lot of good in the world, but it's because the uh, the extraction of the useful information out of a noisy sound signal coming in is universally important in all of these different applications. Oh, I, I can imagine some some pretty amazing things. So after the cochlear project, and you just mentioned uh, Elaine Saunders, now you went and you jointly formed the company. Uh, Blamey and Saunders Hears. Uh, how, did, how did that come about? Yeah, okay. So the company I was just referring to before was actually a precursor to Blamey Saunders Hears. It's a company called Dynamic Hearing and it specialised in developing sound processing algorithms for different applications. And um, that company was a spin off from the Hearing CRC. And Elaine was the CEO and I was the CTO of that company. And we um, uh, we would travel all around the world licensing this technology to different companies. So one of the outcomes of that is that Dynamic Hearing is now owned by another company called Cirrus Logic, who provide chips for telephones as their main, um, their main business. And so Cirrus Logic... Uh, using these technologies that we used to use for, for hearing aids and other things for and, phones. And then you decided to form a hearing aid company. That's correct. So we helped lots of other hearing aid companies around the world improve their technology through dynamic hearing, but it didn't really deliver what we wanted out of the technology, which was actually to see real people benefiting from the technology and to have that uh, direct connection to the end user. So we'd both been used to that in the cochlear implant world where we were um, seeing our, our science being translated into good outcomes with people and we wanted to do the same thing we with, want, with hearing aids. We wanted to hear more people say, oh shit. Yeah, well, or <laughs> other, other, other nice things to hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yes. Um, yeah. Now, there's something particular about speech, and I know as a person with hearing loss, that of all the hearing or components of hearing, speech is prime. And, and I could survive without hearing music, but I won't enjoy it. But something special about speech. What, what's the connection here with Lamy Saunders hearing technology? Yes, so you're, you're right. Speech is very special in a couple of ways. First of all, it's important because we use it as our main mode of communication between people. You don't normally need any technology to be able to talk to somebody and, and hear what they say and transmit complex mechanisms. But if you lose your hearing, that communication method becomes damaged and it becomes more and more difficult 
to convey a complicated message to somebody. And the listener, um, if they have poor hearing, is working very hard just to interpret what they heard Mm -hmm. instead of spending their brain time working on understanding the message and thinking about what they're going to say next and those sorts of things. So it has a huge impact on speech communication if you lose your hearing. So hearing aids and cochlear implants set out with their initial goal to improve the hearing for speech signals. And that's had a big influence on the way these devices work. And um, the Blamey Saunders hearing aids do take that into account. And in fact, we've developed a way of fitting hearing aids that is simpler than the traditional methods and gives you an immediate um, impact on speech because we actually use... we, we find out what are the errors that people are making in listening well, to speech yes, and, and, and we use that. You, you are here in Canberra for two days to conduct the speech perception test. Uh, tell, tell me about that. Yeah, so the speech perception test is the tool that we've developed to measure people's hearing and it takes about five minutes to do online and you hear um, 50 words and you type in what you heard and that then gives us enough information to be able to program a hearing aid and give it to you a couple of minutes later and you can then um, do what we call a a one-hour hearing aid trial. So you do the test in the first five minutes, we fit the hearing aid in the next five minutes and then you've got (coughs) uh, 45 minutes to experience the world through the hearing aids and decide whether or not this is going to make a difference to your life or not. So this hearing test is available online, isn't it, for people can go to the Blamey Saunders website to, to try it out themselves? Yeah, that's right. You can do it anywhere. And we're, we're very keen about making our technology as accessible as possible to people. We uh, one, one of the big problems in hearing health in Australia is that a lot of people don't bother to test their hearing. And so they may be experiencing problems mm don't know whether or not something can be done about it but now with this test you can do it at home and have an answer in five minutes. And the hearing loss is one of those things that often creeps up on people that don't notice and suddenly they're turning the television up and so on. So um, now having read uh, Elaine Saunders' biography and she says in there quite clearly she doesn't particularly like the standard audiogram or the beep tests as she calls it. Can you kind of give us a quick a comparison of the speech perception test with the beep or the audio conventional audiogram. Sure. So the audiogram is based on hearing pure tones or beeps and finding the softest level that you can hear in a very quiet environment. So that's why you, when you go to the audiologist, there's a soundproof booth. There's a set of headphones that are a bit uncomfortable to wear that push in on your ears and you listen for these almost inaudible beeps. Now, I don't have anything particular uh, against that method of measuring hearing, but the answer that it gives you is, what is it that you can't hear? I'm a lot more interested in what is it that you can hear, and can you interpret that to for communication, for speech communication? And that, to me, is what hearing aids are all about. It's about what you can hear, 
what more could you hear if we made it a little bit harder and is that going to provide a benefit to you? So the, but the goals of audiology are a bit different from the goals of hearing aid fitting and improving communication. They're about understanding how somebody's hearing loss might have occurred in the first place, right. whether or not there's a medical treatment that you might look at. And um, that's kind of developed over the years into a very, very complex way of fitting hearing aids. And the, the, um, the technology to do that is called wide dynamic range compression. And it's a bit of a black art. Um, the, the technology in Blamey Saunders hearing aids, which is called ADRO, was invented almost overnight when I went to a conference and listened to half a dozen of the world's experts on fitting wide dynamic range compression. And they all thought that their method was the best. And um, and they all gave an hour-long lecture, lecture each about why their method was the best. And I decided, well, they can't all be right. And I took some time off for the conference and went for a bushwalk in in the um, in the mountains in California where the, the conference was. And I thought, well, what they're all saying is, you want to make the sound loud enough, but not too loud. So what would happen if we just wrote those rules into the hearing aid and we told it what was loud enough and what was not too loud and just used that in 64 channel frequency channels, would it work? And so I came home from that conference and got together with some of the clever engineers at the University of Melbourne and the Bionics Institute and we made a processor and it worked. So... And this is the technology that which you subsequently took into your hearing aid company? That's right. So it was the technology that was the basis of dynamic hearing, and it's the technology that's the basis of the hearing aids in that, that Blamey Saunders provides, and it's also the basis of why it's so easy to fit them. Because the answer to that question, what's comfortable, is all you need in order to be able to fit the hearing aids. Okay, so now my hearing aids, I think, predate the speech perception test. Yes. Um, should I now do the speech perception test again and recalibrate my hearing aids? How would I go about doing that? Uh, yes, you can do that. Um, whether or not it would make a lot of difference depends on how, um, how your hearing aids have been adjusted. So when you adjust hearing aids from... The audiogram, which is how yours would have originally been fitted, um, you come up with a, sort of a, an initial fitting, which is kind of like an approximate fitting, and then you um, fine-tune that in various ways. So after the fine-tuning, you may end up in the same spot that you may end up after you've used the speech perception test, but... Um, what we're finding is that the speech perception test gets you there quicker. So it gives you a better initial fitting okay. and requires less fine-tuning. Now, your hearing aids come with a programmable box, so I can plug them into the computer. Yep. And even my mobile phone, I think? You can now. It depends. So the, in the, in, when we began, we had a device that could only be used with a PC, but we've now made the, the link... A, a Bluetooth link to that device, and so so I can tune my hearing aids on the fly if yes. I really wanted to. Yep. 
So from your smartphone, in the cafe, anywhere you like, you can you can do it. Oh, I should so do that. We have an app. Yep. <laughs> yes. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about the role of technology and, and smart things that the people like yourselves and the Cochlear Project and Blamey Saunders here have done in Australia. So my personal view is that Australia has to move on from selling coal and lumps of rocks out of the ground and we've got to get into doing things a bit smarter. Would you agree with that? It's a bit of a Dorothy Dixer perhaps because you come from a technology business but do you see Australia's economic future in businesses such as the ones that you run? Yes, and I, I think it's really important to be thinking about those sorts of questions. Obviously... Um, an economy that's built on coal and iron and, and those sorts of things uh, is is a good thing and it's um, it's helped us for a long period of time but it's not going to last forever. Um, the economic benefits of doing the sorts of things that we're doing are twofold, I think. Um, first of all, it's solving a real problem in the in the community, the, the hearing problems, and they... Um, uh, the fact that about three-quarters of the people who have hearing loss do nothing about it is creating a different kind of economic problem. If we were to try and solve that problem using the conventional means, Australia would go broke in about 50-50 because we'd be spending our whole gross domestic product on health. And so we have to get smarter at solving health problems just to avoid that economic so, outcome. So they're referring to the productivity of Australians who are, right. would otherwise be affected by a disability such as hearing yes. loss. and the amount of their income that they would have to spend on health-related solutions. Um, so, uh, but on the, on the productivity and, and increasing Australia's um, uh, export markets for various things, then I think there is a lot that can be done with health products. Cochlear is an, an example where um, they have developed a whole new market for devices that didn't exist 30 years ago. And um, I think uh, we've just sort of sat still too long in some areas like hearing aids where there are six big hearing aid companies in the world and three of them are in Denmark and the other three are scattered around the world. But Australia actually is one of the biggest buyers of hearing aids through the, the government for children and for pensioners. But we haven't actually um, taken advantage of our, our expertise in that area to do it more effectively and to keep keep that expertise in Australia and to, to use it to our economic advantage rather than being a net importer of hearing aids. just want to briefly explore how you go from a scientific mind to a business mind. So you've been in a research and development phase and then now you're having to run a company with, with profit and intellectual property and all the complexities, staff, premises, customers, all of those things. Did you find that a, a difficult transition? Um less difficult than you might think but I, I actually started with a business background I worked for an insurance company before I went back to university and studied nuclear physics 
and I've always been interested in statistics and uh, in models of complex systems and um, yeah there's a, there's a bit of a funny story there when we started dynamic hearing we entered a business competition my research team at the University of Melbourne so five people with PhDs in audiology and engineering and mathematics and science and the Melbourne Business School um, started this competition called the Entrepreneurs Challenge for the first time and we went and knocked on their door and said hey can we can we enter this competition and they laughed like crazy and they said oh yeah okay you haven't got a chance because we've got all these smart MBA business people who are also entering this and we won and so that was where the the business idea for, for dynamic hearing came from but you know we had great confidence in the technology and that uh, because we'd seen it successful with cochlear and so we wanted to use it for, for hearing aids and and it really excited the team I haven't seen a scientific team get all that excited about scientific ideas because it's what they do all day every day but when you say hey you won't need to write a grant application next year because we'll have a couple of million dollars from a, a venture capitalist to start a company and we're actually going to use this technology to do good things they say wow and and get on with the job you know and that's what happened and so we were very lucky to have Elaine who had some um uh, experience with on the business side as well, and she became our our, um, our CEO. But the rest of the team were basically scientists who wanted to do something and feel worthwhile about it. And that's carried all the way through to Blamey Saunders. We've got got lots of clever people doing unusual things, and and many of them have PhDs. So that sounds like the funding part of your business went really well. Mm-hmm. Is it? Uh, it's a common story, though, in Australia, isn't it, that it's really hard to get capital investment into a startup companies for high technology businesses? Yep. Is that your experience? What you've seen? Uh, yes, it is. But the learning experience for Elaine and me that came from Dynamic Hearing is really what has given us uh, the confidence and the the ability not to need a big chunk of capital investment so far with Blamey Saunders. So um, it's uh, it's something that I'm quite proud of, which is that between us, Elaine and I, the founders own 90%. And that's very unusual. And we can only do it because it was built on the foundations of dynamic hearing. So we didn't have to invest a lot of new money into uh, technology that wasn't mature and those sorts of things. And, and it's great to have an Australian success story. We're, we're next for Blamey Saunders and uh, your hearing technology. Are there any big things on the horizon that we should look forward to? Uh, yes, there are, um, but I'm not going to say too much about that. So, uh, we're, we're going to keep going forward for... Uh, for the foreseeable future there is one thing that I can talk about which is that um, our audiology clinic in in East Melbourne is is doing very well but so is our online business but we've found that um, there's a good 
connection between the two. The the fact that you can give people customers a choice between face to face consultation or they can do it themselves uh, gives them uh, greater trust in the the delivery of the technology. It's the same technology that's being delivered either way. It's the same knowledgeable people in Melbourne that you can contact face-to-face or over the phone. And so we're going to open a clinic in Sydney to try and get greater um, involvement of, of people in New South Wales. So that's going to be really exciting. And um, it's hopefully going to help us grow a bit quicker, give us a bit more um, income to be able to do more new and exciting things. So last year we, um, or earlier this year, we won the um, the Social Innovation section of the Australian Design Awards, which was really exciting for us because the other people who were competing for that were much bigger companies and it was great to see the recognition that we're not just innovating in a technological sense, but in a social sense as well. It's it's fantastic. Well, Peter, it's it's a great privilege to talk to you. Are there any other thoughts you'd like to finish as we wind up? Um, well, just to encourage other people with with ideas, not to get stuck in the rut that oh, I've got to um, convince somebody to give me two or three million dollars before I start on this project. That's not the way to start projects. The way to start projects is to to do it at the pace that you can afford to do it and not give up. You know, the, With the cochlear implant the fact that um, Paul Trainer, an entrepreneur who'd been working on pacemakers was able to use his existing technology to make cochlear implants easier was a big factor in the success but there are lots of things where people have um, skills and technologies that are being used in one area that can be applied to new areas, and that sort of translation doesn't always need $5 million in the bank to get started. And, and probably a good reason to mix with people who are also smart and have got lots of good ideas, and yeah. uh, hopefully as a patriotic Australian yeah. uh, based in Australia. Yep. And doing good things. Well, Peter Blamey, it's a, a, a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very, very much for your time. You're welcome, Rob. I enjoyed it. Thank you.